Our reading today comes from 2 Samuel, chapter 22, and verses 1 to 10. It's entitled David's Song of Praise, and I found it quite interesting to think that this was tucked away in the middle of 2 Samuel, and not over there in the Psalms somewhere. David sang to the Lord the words of this song, when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my saviour. From violent people you save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and have been saved from my enemies. The waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave curled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of heaven shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blasted out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, bolts of lightning blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord at the blast of breath from his nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place He rescued me because he delighted in me. Amen. Thank you, Jim. My name is Adam. If we haven't met, I'm part of the team here, and it's uh, great to be together this morning and to open up God's Word. And uh, as Ben mentioned earlier, today we come to the final episode of our series through the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel. And I want to begin this morning by asking you a really, really, really important question. If you could choose, if you could choose one song to be the soundtrack to your life, what would you choose? If you could choose one song to be the soundtrack to your life, what would you choose? Maybe you'd choose What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. Maybe Don't Stop Believing by Journey or Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin. 
Maybe it'd be Friday on my mind by the Easy Beats. Maybe I can't get no satisfaction by the Stones. Comfortably numb by Pink Floyd. Or maybe God only knows by the Beach Boys. I mean, I could do this all day. I had a lot of fun this week putting this list together. Maybe, maybe it would be stuck in the middle with you by Steeler's Wheel. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am stuck in the middle with you. What song would be the soundtrack to your life? Now the reason I ask you this question is because here at the end of 2 Samuel, we have a song that was written by King David that is kind of like the soundtrack to his life. He's now an older man and he stops, he pauses and he reflects on his life and on God's goodness to him. And he writes this song of praise, this song of deliverance. Now in this series, we've been following the story of King David, right from the moment when he first ascended to the throne of Israel, through some of his amazing successes and through some of his devastating lows. And now we come to the end of his story. Well, sort of. And I say sort of because I don't know if you read the last four chapters of 2 Samuel this week, but there's not very much in the way of plot resolution. We don't read about the death of King David. We're not told who succeeds King David. We don't find that out until the next book of the Bible. In fact, here at the end of 2 Samuel, we're told a couple of stories from earlier in David's life. We're given a list of David's mighty men. We're told some of his final words and we read this song. Now, if 2 Samuel was made into a Netflix drama, as I've suggested throughout this series that it should be, it would have a somewhat odd ending, a bit of an unsatisfying ending because it all seems a little bit random. But it's actually been carefully arranged to invite us to reflect on David's life and legacy, to invite us to think about God's goodness and faithfulness to him. And at the heart of it all is this song in chapter 22. Because this song tells us what, what David found to be true about God through his life. What David learned about God through the difficulties and the joys and the pains of his life. Now this is incredibly valuable because David is an incredibly important figure. I mean, the Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. Did you know, actually, that there is more space in the Bible devoted to the life of David than anyone else apart from Jesus? David is an incredibly important figure and his reflection on life and God are also incredibly important. This is also incredibly important because David was not totally different to us. David, in fact, his life was a lot like ours. We've seen this throughout this series. David's life was filled with joy and sorrow, with success and failure, with strength and weakness, with sin and forgiveness. In fact, someone in my growth group this week they shared that what they've appreciated about this series is seeing how King David was a lot like us. That he was a great king, a passionate warrior, a, a passionate worshipper, a mighty warrior. 
but he was also sinful and in need of God's grace, just like us. And so as we look at this song of David together this morning, we're going to learn some incredibly important truths about life and about God. These are truths that sustained David through his life. And these are truths that if we will take hold of them and if we will apply them, they will sustain us through our life as well. So let's explore this song together. Now, the interesting thing about this song is that Jim's intuition was right. This song actually does appear in the Psalms. It's one of the only places in the Bible I know that where it appears twice. You have this song here in chapter 22 of 2 Samuel, and you'll also find it in Psalm 18. So if you're reading through the Psalms one day and you think, this sounds familiar, it's because we find it here in 2 Samuel chapter 22 as well. Now we're going to look at this song under three headings, this soundtrack for David's life. And the first truth we learn from this song is this. We meet the God who is our rock. The God who is our rock. Now, if you haven't already picked it up, I'm really into music. In fact, I'm so into music that one of the questions I often wonder about is, what is the greatest opening line of any song? Now, I would probably suggest Like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan. Once upon a time, you dressed so fine, threw the bums a dime in your prime, didn't you? I think that's brilliant. Maybe The Sound of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel. Hello, darkness, my old friend. You've probably got your own suggestions. Here is how David begins his song. This song, which is the soundtrack to his life. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my saviour. From violent people, you save me. Now, David refers to God as a rock twice in these verses. And this is actually the repeated refrain of this song, if you read it through. The Lord is my rock. He opens the song in this way, he repeats it in the middle, and then he repeats it again at the end in verse 47. The Lord lives, he says. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be my God, the rock, my saviour. Now, what does it mean that God is our rock? Why does David focus on this particular truth as he looks back over his life and reflects on all that's happened? Well, have you ever been swimming in the ocean? You're in the waves and you're not really paying attention and then you go to put your feet down and you realise that you're in deep water and you can't stand anymore. Now, it can be a bit of a disorienting experience, especially if there's a rip that is threatening to pull you a little bit further out. Now, it's not until you find yourself back in a position where your feet can touch the sand again, where your feet are on solid ground that you feel safe. You might still need to fight against the waves to get back to shore and to struggle, but your feet are on solid ground and so you're safe. Well, as David looks back over his life, he remembers the many, many times that he found himself in deep waters. He remembers the many, many times when he faced, as he says in verse 3, violent people. 
And if we look back over the life of David, we remember that he faced Goliath and the Philistines. More threatening was King Saul, the first king of Israel, who was so jealous of David, he wanted to kill him, chased him into the wilderness to to hunt him down. Last week, we looked at Absalom, his own son, who wanted to take David out and take the throne from him. Again and again, David faced violent people, found himself in deep waters. And as he looks back over his life, this is what he has found to be true again and again. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. This is what David has found to be true, that God is a rock. In times of difficulty, in tough times, God is a place of security. It reminds me of the words from the hymn, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. This is what David has found to be true about God. And I wonder if you found this to be true about God in your life. I wonder if you can sing this opening line along with David. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. In fact, did you notice the personal pronouns in that verse? David doesn't just say the Lord is a rock. The Lord is a fortress. The Lord is a deliverer. He says the Lord is my rock my fortress, and my deliverer. It was Martin Luther who supposedly said, Christianity is built upon personal pronouns. In other words, real Christianity is not just believing truths in general about God. Real Christianity is owning these truths, experiencing these truths for yourself. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. Is this the soundtrack of your life? When tough times come, do you take your stand on God? Have you found this to be true for yourself? The only way you'll find it to be true is through experience, through placing your trust in God when you find yourself in tough and difficult times. And the truth is, when you do this, you will find that God is the only dependable reality in this life. Everything other than God will ultimately give way. And nothing but God can give you ultimate security. There is no amount of money in this world that can stop death or disease. There is no house in this world, no matter how big it is, that can stop the powers of natural disaster. There is no amount of good deeds that can make up for our wrongdoing. Only in God do we find security and hope in the face of disaster, disease, death, and evil. The Lord is my rock. This is what David has found to be true, and he is inviting you and I to discover this to be true for for ourselves as well. This is the first truth we learn from this song, the God who is our rock. The second truth, if you're taking note, is we discover... But he is also the God who rescues. The God who rescues. Now, as I've already mentioned, and as we've kind of seen throughout this series, David did not have an easy life. In fact, listen to how he describes his troubles in verses 5 and 6. The waves of death swirled about me. 
The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. Now David is vividly describing those times in his life when he literally faced the reality of death. I mean, when he was on the run from Saul in the wilderness, it wasn't just that he was facing a few troubles, he was literally facing the prospect of death. Saul wanted to kill him. And this is why David describes these, his experience so vividly, so exuberantly. And this is why when David turns to describe how God has rescued him in verses 7 to 20, he also describes it so vividly, so exuberantly. In fact, he describes it so vividly, it seems like he's exaggerating. Did you catch what we read a moment ago? I mean, David talks about earthquakes. He talks about the heavens shaking. He talks about smoke coming from God's nostrils. Bolts of lightning, God coming down on dark clouds. All kinds of amazing things, which is great. But did any of it actually happen to David? I mean, is this what he experienced? And of course, the answer is no. I mean, we've read the story. We know that on those many occasions when David, David was rescued by God, there was no earthquakes, there was no lightning bolts, there was no thunder, no, nothing was shaking. So why does David describe it in this way? Well, the answer is, is that David is helping us to see with the eyes of faith. Those many occasions when David was rescued by God, they looked very ordinary on the surface, but beneath the surface they were anything but ordinary because they were the work of this earth-shaking, sky-splitting God. And as David looks back on how God delivered him, he recognises that he didn't just get lucky when he faced Goliath. He didn't just get lucky when he escaped from Saul. No, God intervened on his behalf. This extraordinary God. See, though it looked ordinary on the surface, it was the work of this extraordinary God, the God who rescues. And David wants you to recognise this truth in your life as well. That when God intervenes in your life, it might look like the help of another person. It might look like a coincidence. It might look ordinary, but David wants you to recognize for what it truly is, the intervention of our extraordinary God, the God who rescues. Now, here's what I think this means for you and for me. It means we need to become less fixated on the extraordinary, and we need to become more aware of God's work in the ordinary. We need to develop eyes of faith that recognize the many and varied ways that God is at work in our ordinary lives. Tim Chester, an author, puts it this way. He says, the next coincidence, the next illness cured by a doctor, the next timely word from a friend, see behind these things the God of the exodus and the God of the resurrection. I mean, when someone brings you a meal in a difficult time, when someone says they've been praying for you, when someone encourages you, when a door is opened or a door is closed, recognize the gracious hand of God at work in your life. Don't spend your whole life waiting for extraordinary moments so that you miss the ordinary moments of grace in each and every day. You know, it reminds me of that incredible story about Corrie and Betsy Temboom. Corrie and Betsy Temboom, of course, were Dutch sisters who were sent to the Ravensbrück concentration camp during World War II. 
Corrie tells the story that when they were assigned to their barracks, they were not only overcrowded, but they were filled with fleas. But Betsy, as they arrived, she insisted that they do as the scriptures said, and they give thanks to God in all circumstances. Now, Corrie audibly and loudly said to Betsy, I have no idea what we have to be thankful for. And so Betsy started to list some things, being assigned to the same barracks, the Bible that we've managed to smuggle into this camp, the overcrowding of these barracks, which allows for more women to attend the services that we hold at night, and, Betsy said, the fleas. Corrie, again, had no idea why you would give thanks for fleas, but she reluctantly did so at Betsy's insistence. Now, time went on, and Betsy and, and Corrie continued to hold their nightly worship services in the barracks. They would read from the Bible in Dutch, and then it would be translated into all the different languages. And Corrie says that these services were little previews of heaven. Surprisingly, no one attempted to stop these services. In fact, there was almost no supervision at all in their barracks. Now, one day, Corrie came back from work, and, and Betsy was looking very happy. And she went on to explain to Corrie, you know, we've never understood why we had so much freedom in, in the barracks. Well, I found out. That afternoon, there'd, be con there'd been confusion in her knitting group, and they'd asked a supervisor to come in and to sort it out. Betsy says, but she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door, and neither would the guards. And you know why? Because of the fleas. That's what she said. That place is crawling with fleas. Corrie said, my mind rushed back to Betsy's bowed head, her thanks to God for creatures I could see no use for. Let's not miss the ordinary work of God in our ordinary, even difficult moments of life. Because he is the God who rescues. He's the God who is our rock. He's the God who rescues. And thirdly and finally... The third truth we learn from this song is that he is the God who redeems. Now here in the middle of this song, David finally explains why God has rescued him again and again. Why God has delivered him, and I'll warn you, it's a little bit unexpected. Listen to what David says. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight." Now, if you're familiar with David's story, if you're paying attention to those verses, you are thinking, what? Are you serious, David? Blameless? Not guilty? Clean hands? Kept yourself from sin? Aren't you forgetting a couple of things? Aren't you forgetting that little episode with Bathsheba and Uriah? Aren't you forgetting your failure to do anything about Amnon? Aren't you forgetting a whole lot of things? I mean, what's going on here? Has David just become a little bit forgetful in his old age? A little bit delusional? Has he lost sight of the seriousness of sin? The truth is, it's, it's none of those things. It's, it's much simpler and it's much more profound. 
See, the answer is that David deeply believes the saving promises of God. David has a profound understanding and experience of the grace of God. Do you remember what the prophet Nathan said to David after his episode with Bathsheba and Uriah? Nathan said to him, the Lord has taken away your sin. Now the question is, is that true or is it not? Is that real or is it not? I mean, we might remember David's sin and we might want to pin it on him. But the Lord does not. Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In the words of Psalm 51, which David prayed after this episode with Bathsheba and Uriah, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That's what David prayed, and that is exactly what God has done for David. Not because David is so good, but because God is so good. Not because of David's commitment to God, but because of God's commitment to David. And these verses here in the middle of this song, they are not a claim by David to have lived a perfect life. They are David's claim to have lived his life by trusting in the saving promises of God. David is not ignorant of his sin. He knows the depth of his sin, but he knows that God's grace and mercy is deeper still. He knows that his sin cannot erase God's grace, but God's grace erases his sin. And that means David is able to live each day, not burdened by guilt and shame and self-hatred, but in the freedom of forgiveness from God and in the freedom of restored relationship with God. And I guess the question is, well, what about you and me? Can we speak with the same confidence as David? Can we live with the same freedom as David? And the answer, of course, is yes. In fact, we can say it with even more confidence than David because we see and we know even more than David did. See, God made the promise to David that he would send an eternal king from his line. And we know that that king is Jesus Christ. And we know that he came not just to rule over us, but to die for us and to rise again, to pay for our sin and to defeat all of our enemies. See, this song only makes sense fully when we realize that it's pointing us to Jesus. Because unlike David, Jesus truly was righteous and blameless, truly did obey the law of God, and in him, we too can become righteous and blameless. Some of you may be thinking, well, I'm not so sure about that. I've done horrible things. I've committed terrible sin. It might have been yesterday. It might have been last week. It might have been last year or last decade. But the guilt and the shame of that day is still with you. And if that's you, I want you to be assured of the saving power and promise of God in Jesus Christ. In him, there really is forgiveness and freedom. In him, there is no condemnation. There is no need to wallow in guilt and shame because Christ has paid it once and for all. 
So let me close this sermon, let me close this series by asking you this simple question. Is this the soundtrack of your life? Have you taken your stand on the God who is our rock? Do you recognize the work of God in your ordinary everyday life? And have you received the saving promise of God in Jesus Christ? This is what David is teaching us. And friends, the best news is that this can be your soundtrack too. Because the same God who loved, protected and delivered David is the same God who reaches out to you and to me today. And so let's now turn to him and let's take our stand upon the God who is our rock. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we can do nothing but stand before you with empty hands and receive all that you freely give to us. And Lord, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus, our true king, and that on the cross he paid the penalty for our sin once and for all, and that he then rose again to defeat all of our enemies and to give us new life with you forever. And Lord, if we've lost sight of that truth, if we begin to, to wallow in guilt and shame and condemnation, help us to once again take our stand upon Christ, our cornerstone, because all other ground is sinking sand. Oh Jesus, we thank you, we worship you, we love you, and we pray this in your good name. Amen. Church, would you stand? To hear this blessing from God's word. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may overflow with hope. Amen.